सहनावतो सहनो घुनक्तो तेजस्विनावधीतमस्तु Lord Krishna says that even karma yoga also is sannyasa because a kind of sannyasa because a spirit of renunciation is involved while performing karma or action with the spirit of yoga. And as he said, karma yoga is a process of bringing Ishwara, the Lord, more and more into my life identifying more and more with Ishwara and that is how less and less identification with Ahankara. Is Ahankara of the ego that really manifests itself in the form of various likes and dislikes. <coughs> As you said, it's a very basic insecurity which is within myself which sees the security someplace and therefore gets attached to that, sees thread in another place and becomes ever, ever, you know, have an aversion for that. So that is how the attachments and aversions are there. They are manifestation. Ego means insecurity. And that manifests raga dveshas, likes and dislikes, and various demands. Raga or attachment also creates a demand, and dvesha aversion also creates a demand. So, a demanding person. And when demands are fulfilled, I demand more. When demands are not fulfilled, I become angry. So when demands are fulfilled, I want more. This is called greed, aloha. When demand is not fulfilled, I'm upset, I'm angry. This is called anger, krodha. And so either krodha or loha, either anger or greed, one of the two is the result of this likes and dislikes. And so the whole problem with the why, why functioning on the basis of likes and dislikes is that the likes and dislikes keep on increasing. So when I function from the basis of likes and dislikes, all it does is, it just keeps on having likes and dislikes grow. 
Thus, likes and dislikes give rise to further likes and dislikes. And this is what has been going on. And that is how I find myself as a bunch of likes and dislikes. So, what should we do? So, yoga, the karma yoga or yoga is a way of breaking that whole chain by not functioning from the basis of likes and dislikes, but rather functioning from another basis. Let us say functioning from the basis of duty. No, this is my duty to do. Functioning from the basis of sense of gratitude. That it is my privilege to do. It is my privilege to do something. That means then an action does not become an expression of likes and dislikes, but an action becomes an expression of my sense of gratitude. Which sense of gratitude is received or discovered by actions performed within the spirit of gratitude. Now gratitude to whom? To the, to the totality. That is what we call Ishvara or the Lord. And so depending on how I look at myself, so do I look at myself as a needy person and is an action then a means of fulfilling my individual needs? Or do I look upon myself as a person who is, who is always secure and therefore that so usually, so usually my actions are a means of achievement of some gratification at the level of senses by, by acquiring sense pleasures or at the level of ego by acquiring wealth, by acquiring recognition, by acquiring power. So these are the things that gratify the ego. And so gratification is what I am seeking. And the seeking gratification is based on my assumption or my conclusion that I am needy, that I am incomplete, that I am inadequate. And so functioning on the basis of inadequacy, it never removes the sense of inadequacy. Momentary, it appears momentarily momentarily I feel that I am alright and again that sense of alright and goes away. And so yoga is Lord Krishna says and Vedanta tells us that this is a notion that I am inadequate or I am incomplete is a notion. Even the need for pleasure or need for happiness also is based on this false notion about myself and therefore don't give it a reality. Recognize that you are what you are seeking. As we say it, that brings about a more, a different mode of life. When I am, I am a needy person, then the mode of life is that I am always a wanting person, a begging person, an asking person, a demanding person. On the other hand, if I am all right as I am, then I become a giving person. So this is where this yoga comes in. I know that I am not full or complete, it's not my experience. And still I function on the basis as though I was a complete being. Suppose I were. This is called faking. Suppose I were that. Then what would I do? Then this action would not be an, a means of seeking something because I'm already what I'm seeking. Then this action would be a means of offering. So this is how fake that you are alright and then ultimately make it. This is what yoga is. And so the reason why I am presenting it this way is because usually yoga is explained as action performed with Ishvara Prabuddhi, action performed with a spirit of an offering to the Lord. All of this was discussed earlier in the earlier chapters also, how in the universe also there is a scheme of offering completely. 
as we observe the universe we find that a cosmic yajna or a cosmic sacrifice is going on because all the various elements sentient and insentient all the elements in the universe are always of making their offering or, or you know in the scheme of things whether it is all the elements of nature whether it is sun, moon, planets, whatever or even an atom all of them perform their function according to their appointed role in the scheme of things. And so I also adopt that spirit of yajna or sacrifice as so in short every individual in the universe works for the total. As in our body for example that every limb of my body or every cell of my body functions for the well-being of the whole body. And it's only when that spirit of cooperation or spirit of offering is there that the whole body is, enjoys health. So then there is a harmony in the body is because all the various elements making up this body, all of them function for the well-being of the body and not their own individual well-being. But when every element or every member functions for the well-being of the totality, then automatically their well-being also is served. Because when the body is healthy, every member also is healthy. This is the scheme. If everyone only works for themselves, if the stomach works for itself, hands work for themselves, legs work for themselves, without regard to the, the, the well-being of the rest of the body, then the whole body is going to suffer. So we see that spirit of cooperation, we see that spirit of offering where every individual member offers itself for the well-being of the totality. This is a big thing. Suppose we can adopt that spirit. It's not easy to do that because I'm so insecure, I'm so at the moment so self-centered that to adopt that spirit is not possible right away. But whatever extent I, because there are a lot of fears in my heart, those questions are always asked, Swamiji, if I start offering and if I start giving, then what will happen to me? Will they not exploit me? Will they not take advantage of me? Will they not walk all over me? And then will I not be deprived? And so these questions arise because a lot of insecurities are there. So all we can say is, to the extent that I discover a comfort with the spirit of offering, I do. And I hope to discover more and more comfort with that. And that is how my life will slowly become more and more an offering. So this is the spirit of yoga. Therefore, my individual likes and dislikes do not come to play. In fact, every time I am about to perform an action, from within this question is asked, what is in it for me? My likes and dislikes always seek their expression through whatever I want. Likes and dislikes are always seeking gratification. So today, the actions that I perform are usually means of gratification of my likes and dislikes. So rather than that, I make them the means of gratification of God or of totality or whatever altar I have selected in my life. The idea is that there should be some kind of a cause in our life. Our life is not dedicated merely for my individuality or individual well-being, but there will be some cause to which I am dedicated, to which I am devoted. You can call that God. That is why we found in India and elsewhere also when the people were dedicated to the cause of the country. There was a whole period of time when the people just were devoted to the country for the, for the freedom of the country and they dedicated themselves including their life. So to the, when we discover this kind of a cause and it is possible for us to offer ourselves to that cause. 
So there is a cause, there is an altar at which I make an offering. If that altar is totality, it's the most wonderful. But whatever that altar is, hopefully that altar is above more than simply my own self, something more than that. And that is what we call the process of offering the ego at the altar of Lord. <coughs> so this whole spirit of offering is cleansing, is healing. It is that which slowly removes these impulses of likes and dislikes because I do not support them. I do not support my individual attachments and aversions. On the other hand, I support that spirit of cooperation, spirit of offering, spirit of worship. And therefore, a karma yogi is also a bhakta or a devotee of Lord because he performs actions as an offering to the Lord out of devotion. So, in course of time, I start becoming free from the impulses of likes and dislikes. Nirdvandva hi mahabahu. Second line says, He mahabahu, He arjuna, O mighty one. He because, Nirdvandva, one is free from the opposites, pairs of opposites. One who is free from the pairs of opposites, likes and dislikes. Sukham is effortlessly, Bandhat Pramuchade, released from the bondage. One gets effortlessly released from bondage when one has become free from the impact of the pairs of opposites. The word is Nirdvandvaha. Dvandva means pairs of opposites. The, this world or universe is in fact made up of these pairs of opposites. Heat and cold, comfort and discomfort, Pleasure and pain, honor and dishonor, discomfort, honor or dishonor, agreeable, disagreeable, convenient, inconvenient, comfortable, uncomfortable. And these things keep on impacting me. So these ex my experiences can be divided into this, or I confront constantly can be classified as one of this. Either I experience honor or dishonor. Pleasure or pain, comfort or discomfort. Either what I am confronting is agreeable to me or not agreeable to me. Either I feel being accepted or I feel being rejected. This is, the, this is my experiences. And what happens is today, both of these experiences impact me. When I feel that I am accepted, when I feel that what is around me is agreeable, then I feel good. Then I feel happy, then I feel what we call elated. Thus there is a reaction of elation or harsha from me whenever I encounter something that is, that is agreeable. On the other hand, when I feel that what is around me is not agreeable, not accepting me, rejecting me, then there is another reaction. This is what we call sadness or rejection or, de or depression. So elation, depression, elation, depression. That is how my mind is always jumping up and down. A mind such as that cannot enjoy a steadiness or tranquility. That elation is what we call rajas and depression is what we call tamas. So this mind is always under the influence of rajas and tamas, raga and dvesha, agreeable, disagreeable, likes, dislikes and therefore always keeps on, you know, going from one end to the other, one state to the other. 
it cannot enjoy what we call sattva or tranquility or balance. So the first step is nirdvandvaha. To achieve the state of mind which remain, which maintains its composure on the face of these pairs of opposites. Because this is how the world is and we cannot change that. We cannot bring about much change in the nature of the world that the world is made up of these pairs of opposites. There is not much we can do about it. In fact, the same person, the same thing can sometimes become a cause of pleasure to me and the very same thing can also cause me pain under different conditions. Is it not so? Under given conditions, what can give me pleasure? Under different conditions, the same thing can give me pain also. Under some conditions, the given person honors me. Under different conditions, the same one may dishonor me. So all this honor, dishonor, pleasure, pain, comfort, discomfort, all of these are, 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 are relative, subject to time, place and conditions. And as they change, I find the same thing behaving differently. I can never be certain as to how I will be treated next moment by anybody because depends upon their mood, depends upon how they are disposed, depends upon how I am viewed. And therefore, the state of my mind usually is either one of elation or depression, either an influence of rajas or influence of tamas. And this mind cannot be objective. Whenever I am under influence of any one of these, I am not objective. My view cannot be objective. When I am elated, harsha, the elation is there, everything looks wonderful. Then I can't see the bad part of it. When I am depressed, everything looks miserable. I can't see anything good there. So whenever I am, you know, whenever I am under the influence of either of these reactions, then I am not an objective person. My judgment, so my evaluation and my judgment is not going to be proper. In short, a mind like that is not a proper instrument for learning because for studying, for learning, for knowing the truth, my mind must be objective. I should be able to appreciate things as they are and not as projected by my mind. But this is a projecting mind. So mind and the influence of attachment also projects Mind and the influence of aversion also projects. So when there is an attachment, all I can see are the virtues there, nothing else. When there is an aversion, all I can see are nothing but defects there. Guna, guna means virtues. So when there is an attachment, I can see virtue and nothing else. When I have an aversion for something, hatred for something, all I can see are the vices and nothing else. So therefore a mind under the influence of either raga or dvesha, attachment or aversion cannot be an objective mind. And when we function in our life also, lots of problems are there. It is not that we should enjoy mind free from dvesha merely for spiritual knowledge, but for even day-to-day -day happiness also. It is desirable that I must maintain a composure. Thus they talk of two kinds of creation. One is the creation of God, which is, He has created this universe. Other is creation of this individual. So creation of God is called Ishvara Srishti, creation by Ishvara, by God. Other is what we call Jiva Srishti, creation by the Jiva, the individual. And aversion are purely subjective, my own creation. 
creation of ignorance, creation of insecurities, creation of sense of in inadequacy. And so what we call this subjective creation, this individual creation, then alone I can have an objective of what it is. Then we can see the God everywhere. If the mind enjoys that sattva, if mind enjoys that tranquility, that purity, that clarity, transparency, as we see many poets, many artists enjoy, they can see beauty everywhere. I mean, and we also, whenever we feel where we are, we are in a state of sattvic mind, so that happens that very often my mind does become free from likes and dislikes. When I'm confronted with some, you know, with perhaps I'm in the midst of nature, then when I enjoy the non-demanding mind, when I find that I'm able to enjoy things as they are. So when I'm able to enjoy things as they are, without the need for them to change, then I'm able to enjoy things, I mean then I'm a sattvic person. But even when I go to the mountains, and I wish that, I wish this mountain was little taller than what, I wish it was more green than what it is. So recently when I went to the west coast, you know there are a lot of hills there, in the Bay Area. All of them are dry, all of them are brown. And I look at them, and coming from Pennsylvania where everything is lush green, I keep on comparing in my mind. I said, look what, this is what I found myself doing. And I asked myself, why are you doing this? Why them as they are? After all, these, these hills are brown, fine. Why can't I enjoy them as they are? Then I could see the beauty in, in, in even the brown hills also. Because if I have a set notion of what is beautiful, then I cannot enjoy anything which is, that doesn't conform to that. So there's giving up this, dropping these notions that things should only be like this. And as I said, both attachment and aversion, both of them will represent my demands as to how things should be. I have prescription for everything. I have stipulation for everything. And therefore I want the world to be like that. And then alone I can enjoy it. Rather than that, Cultivate the ability to end things as they are. So this is a non-demanding mind. A sattvic mind is a non-demanding mind. Non-demanding not out of helplessness, non-demanding out of an appreciation of, of the things as they are. So that mind is things as they are. Then you can see beauty everywhere. Because beauty doesn't have a form. This world, I mean this beauty also has no attribute. Love also has no attribute. Happiness, it doesn't have a form. It doesn't have any character. What it is? I mean, we assign a certain form. I say this is called happiness when I have a certain home, or when I have a certain car, when I have a certain thing. So I always quantify this happiness to that. So whether I enjoy a thing or whether I enjoy my demand, I enjoy a thing when it fulfills my demands, so question is, am I enjoying that thing or am I enjoying my demand, that my demand is fulfilled, so I enjoy rather than enjoying a thing. So when I don't have demands, then I can enjoy things as they are. And so, first step is to see God everywhere, which is the truth. As we say, God is not only creator, so He is both the Vardhanakaranam, Nimittakaranam. He is the efficient cause as well as the material cause. The Creator also is Him, and the creation also is Him. So to see this, when can I see that? When my mind is free from this demands, from likes and dislikes, from the influence of pairs of opposites, to that extent I can see that.
And so first step is to see God in things around myself, see that God as myself. So that is what we call Jnanam. And knowledge is to appreciate God as my own self. But before that, whatever it is, as God. So first in duality I appreciate God. Even though I appreciate Him as different from me, but then I appreciate God as around me, as this whole. And the second step is to appreciate that God as my own self. So that would be called... So really, sannyasa is best taken when there is an appreciation of God. Therefore, Lord Krishna says, this karma yogi is the one who appreciates God everywhere. And how does he do it? By faking it. He makes it. First of all, he accepts this world as, as Ishvara. As Rama Maharshi says, Jagat Ishadhi Yukta Sevanam Ashtamurti Bhud Deva Poojanam Jagatah Ishadhi Yukta Sevanam Worshipping or serving this creation with the dhi of the spirit that this is Ishvara. Although I don't see it, like I say, I don't see Ishvara right now. But I remind myself that look, this is Ishvara. In whichever form it is, it is Ishvara. He is a creator and he is a creation. So let me treat them as such. This is faking. Although I don't see it, I remind myself. Because that is what the scriptures reveal and that's what makes sense to me. So in the beginning, there is just the spirit of looking upon things as Ishvara. And ultimately, there is a discovery of everything being Ishvara. So the spirit is called Yoga. Discovery is called Gnanam or the knowledge. That the very spirit leads to knowledge. That's why Lord Krishna says, say, he'll say next verse, that Yoga and the, the knowledge are not different. Because Yoga or that attitude leads to the knowledge. That is the reason why the scriptures prescribe certain attitudes which are based on realities. I am asked to look upon the world as God because it happens to be so. Otherwise, if this is not so, then regardless of how I look, it will never turn out to be so because it is not a reality. Thus we are asked to follow values of non-violence or truthfulness because that is the nature of the self. That is the nature of everything. That is why ultimately those values can become spontaneous, because it is my nature. Similarly also, the world happens to be God and therefore, a bhavana or a spirit, the attitude of looking upon God, someday can culminate into seeing at God, because it happens to be the truth. And so that's the difference between a yogi and a jnani. Yogi has what we call bhavana, has an attitude, has a spirit. And jnani, a wise person, has the vision or the knowledge. That's the difference. So I start with bhavana, I start with attitude, I start with spirit. And it culminates into knowledge, into discovery, into seeing. Nirdvandu hi mahabaho sukham bandhat pramuchyade Because he mahabaho, o mighty Aman, he mighty am Arjuna, Nirdvandvaha, one who has become free from the impact of the dvandva, impact of the pairs of opposites. And why? Because he is able to see something common between all the pairs of opposites. In honor and dishonor, in success and failure, in gain and loss, in comfort and discomfort, he sees something common. What is that common thing? 
Is there anything common in success and failure? Is there anything common in gain and loss? Is there anything common in honor and dishonor? They are totally opposed to each other. How can there be something common to them? But he sees them as common with his attitude that success, God has come to me in the form of success. Failure, God has come to me in the form of failure. Honor, God has come to me in the form of honor. Dishonor, God has come to me in the form of dishonor. Suppose this is the attitude, then honor and dishonor, success and failure, in heat and cold, in pleasure and pain, in agreeable, he looks upon all of that as nothing but manifestation of God. So there is a common thing. In the beginning, it's an attitude. Ultimately, it's a discovery that yes, that is so. Because God is fond of changing his form, that's all. That is how he is. He doesn't come just in one form. Form. He's a great actor and therefore keeps assuming different forms, different costumes. That's how he likes to do. Sometimes as a friend, sometimes as an enemy. Sometimes in different ways. Sometimes as comfort, discomfort. Pleasure, pain. In fact, the Mahatmas, the wise people do see that. It is also that even in, in birth and death, both of them, the death also, God comes in that form. Birth, God comes in that form. Pain, God comes in that form. Pleasure, God comes in that form. And this is what we call bhavana. This is an attitude. This is a spirit. Ultimately, this becomes a matter of knowledge. <coughs> and thus, Nidvandvaha, He Mahabahu, He Arjuna, the one who has become free from the impact of this Dvandva, impact of pairs of opposites, because he appreciates what is common to both these opposites. Though the opposite are forms, but the content is the same. Now a beggar and then a king. The beggar and king are not at all the same. For one who appreciates the same actor, either as a beggar or as a king, so even while appreciating the differences, he continues to appreciate the, that which is common. It is not that a wise person does not appreciate or see the difference between pleasure and pain, he understands that. That this is honor, this is not dishonor, he understands that. But while understanding, he also appreciates that in this form, it's the same Lord who is coming. That is why Lord Krishna took every kind of a form. Can you God is a thief? You know, so that is why this God is wonderful. You will never find this kind of God anywhere else. Because where God is always transcendental and beyond the form, then you know, it's difficult to relate to that God. You know, on the other hand, this is a God in the form of Krishna who comes to us and as a thief also. As, as, as somebody who steals, somebody who harasses, somebody who pleases, somebody who dances, somebody who fights, in every form he comes. Somebody who is my servant, he came as servant, as charioteer of Arjuna. Somebody is a king, somebody is a servant. In every form he comes. Meaning thereby that all these different forms are nothing but manifestation of God. So this is yoga. Therefore, yoga, karma yoga is not merely keep on performing actions. In a karma yogi, there is an understanding, there is an appreciation that everything is God. He is a creator and he is a creation.
And he wants to make it a reality for himself. What he understands intellectually, he wants to make it a reality for himself. And therefore, what is a matter of intellectual conviction? He translates that in his life in the form of actual attitudes. This is attitudes are based on intellectual convictions rather than on his likes and dislikes. Either my attitudes can be based on my attachments and aversions or it can be based on my conviction. So Karma Yogi is the one whose attitudes, whenever it relates, are based on his conviction rather than his attachments and aversions. So this becomes a process of subduing the attachments and aversions, Ragadveshas, constantly. And that's how in course of time he becomes free from them and he possesses a mind Sukham Bandhat Pramuchale with which it is easy to see that everything is God. Ultimately you see also that he is my own self. And Bandhat Pramuchale he thus becomes released from the bondage. Bondage was created from ignorance. Bondage meaning the sense of smallness which was a product of ignorance he becomes freed from that. He was always free. He thought he was bound and so the apparent bondage goes away in wake of this knowledge. <coughs> Therefore, Lord Krishna calls a karma yogi also a sannyasi. Neha nitya sannyasi. That's why we say here, this is the first level of renunciation because Lord Krishna in fact praises him as a renunciate. How can you call a karma yoga a sannyasi? We thought the sannyasi or renunciate is the one who doesn't perform actions. And here you are calling the person who is active performing action as a renunciate. How can you say that? So Lord Krishna says in the fourth and fifth verses, he explains that. So in the fourth verse, Lord Krishna says, Sankhya yoga prathag balaha Sankhya Yoga Prathag Balaha Pravadantina Panditaha Pravadantina Panditaha Ekam Apyasthita Samyaka Ekam Apyasthita Samyaka Uvayor Vindate Phalam Uvayor Vindate Phalam Sankhya, Sankhya means sannyasa. And yoga means yoga, performance of action. So, on the face of it, it looks like a sannyasi is the one who does not perform action, and yoga is the one who is engaged in action and therefore, on the face of it, they look quite different from each other, opposed to each other. And therefore, the people who do not understand the rahasya, those who do not understand what is involved here, that means those who do not have an understanding of the spiritual life, they think that these two persons are quite different. Balaha, Balaha means children, or that means that people with childlike mind, that means the people who have not understood the purport of the scriptures. So they know how that sannyasa, renunciation is giving up the action. They know that yoga means performance of action, and they, therefore they feel that these two are totally different entities. So it is people with limited understanding or people with immature mind. By immature mind we mean that people are not understood really the purport of the scriptures. They feel that or they believe that a sannyasi and a karma yogi are altogether two different entities. 
na panditaha but that is not what the pandita say that is not the wise the learned people the wise people don't say that but the wise people say that even a karma yogi when he is engaged in performing action also has a spirit of renunciation a sannyasi is always renunciate but a karma yogi also is a renunciate in making and therefore the wise people the learned people realize that even though a karma yogi is the one who is performing action but still he is in fact a renunciate in as much as he has the spirit of renunciation and this is most important as I said that is the the spirit of renunciation is the spiritual life that is a vehicle of our spiritual growth or inner growth at least Bhagavad Gita teaches us the spirit of renunciation as a vehicle of inner growth and renunciation of what? Renunciation of attachments and aversion, nothing else. Nobody wants us to renounce anything else because what else do we have? What do we possess really? What can we call to be our own property? Or what can we call to be, I mean, authorship or ownership? I say that this book belongs to me, that's my notion. I think this house belongs to me, that I am the owner or the author of that's my notion. Because ten years ago somebody else used to live here and ten years later somebody else will live here. Everybody will call them mine, mine, you know, that thing remains where it is. So I may call myself the owner of many things but that is just a notion. The ownership is a notion. But in, but in truth, what can I call myself the owner of? These attachments and aversions is lust and anger and greed, all of these passions or impulses, I am really owner of them. And when we talk of renunciation, really it is renunciation of those things. Although people generally understand renunciation means giving up things, giving up your job and giving up your wealth and giving up things, which is also okay. But I might give up those things and still retain all my attachments and aversion, then I am, you know, it's difficult, it's, it's not renunciation. That's what Lord Krishna will say subsequently. So Karma Yogi, even though he is performing action, even though in the midst of activities, even though he possesses things, even though he has a sense of doership, even though he is functioning in the realm of duality, even then he is a sannyasi in as much as he entertains a spirit of renunciation, of renouncing his demands. We are, each one of us is a demanding person. We always make demands upon everybody around us, we make demands upon the world. Because there is a need on my part to feel comfortable with myself, and I can feel comfortable only when everybody fulfills my demand. That's the only way I can feel comfortable. And therefore, in order for me to feel comfortable with myself, I make demands upon the whole world. That's why many people make demands upon their spouses, upon their children, upon their parents, upon their friends, upon their boss, upon their subordinates, upon everybody. Upon the President of the United States, upon the Governor, upon everybody, you know, we have prescription what everybody should do. And so, we dictate everything, we want to control everything. It is this nature of controlling, this demanding, that is what is to drop. Then alone I can enjoy things as they are. Today I cannot enjoy things as they are. Today you give me something and I must, I'll cut it off, I'll fry it, I'll spice it, I'll, 
you know, until you can't even see what the original thing is. I can't, you know, you can't recognize the original. Then alone I, so today, it is necessary for me to change everything to my liking, my prescription. Therefore, naturopaths tell us that you enjoy, you enjoy things as they are. Don't even cook them. Don't even peel them off if not necessary. If they had their way, they would, they would want you to eat banana along with the peels, I guess, you know. But then everything natural. Don't change anything. As God has made, it is fine for you. But as I say, today I must change everything to my need, to my liking. What yoga is, rather than changing things around, maybe I change myself for a change. So thus it is a process of changing myself. So far, all the, all the time, so far, my attempt is to change things around myself and keep myself intact. That's the reason why people don't grow. Even at the age of 75, they follow the same likes and dislikes. Although unfortunately in the Western culture that is considered to be a mark of success. They see he's, he's an old man, 75, and still he's the same enthusiasm or he's the same needs as a 25-year-old man. So he does at the, at the age of 75 what a 25-year-old man does. He does the same thing. Then we think that he's living his life fully. But not so in India. They don't think so. That you still have the same needs, same demands. You still want to have the same pleasures. Well, maturity means going out of the need of those things. You're discovering something within yourself. And thus discovering a freedom from the needs of these pleasures. So that is... Even the life of Grihastha, according to the Vedas, only life of Karma Yoga. In fact, Shankaracharya would say that who can be Karma Yoga? Only Grihastha can be Karma Yoga. Because he alone or she, they are alone are qualified to perform actions. But thus dropping the demands, changing myself. Today I keep myself as I am and I will change the world. Now this process is keeping the world as it is. I keep on changing myself. In the sense of my attitude, by changing myself means changing everything. Everything is fine, as it is, because it is God. So rather than rejecting something, rather than demanding to change something, how can I accept them as they are? And that will require changing myself and dropping my demands, dropping my attachments and aversions. So yoga then becomes the process of constantly changing myself, transforming myself. Therefore, the spirituality becomes a process of self-transformation. I can't remain what I am, as Swami would call it, emotional maturity. And emotional maturity is nothing but maturity with reference to likes and dislikes or these impulses. That I am not controlled by my impulses, I am not controlled by my reactions, but then I am controlled by my understanding. Then I become really a human being, generally speaking. Then alone I have the free will, otherwise I don't even have the free will. Although we like to call it free will, but today my will is controlled by my likes and dislikes, by my passions. That's why people wonder sometimes, Swamiji, is there any free will at all or the life is nothing but destiny? People wonder. There is for most people not much of free will because their will is all controlled by their passions. And so to make the will really free, 
from the hold of those passions, likes and dislikes, is this process of yoga. And therefore, Karma Yogi also is constantly, you know, he's growing through the spirit of renunciation. Renunciation of dislikes and dislikes. Renunciation of demands. And therefore, those who understand this secret about the Karma Yoga, the purpose of Karma Yoga, they know that a Karma Yogi also is a renunciate in making. And therefore, they do not see the renunciate and Karma Yogi is altogether different. Panditaha. So learned people, wise people, do not think that these two are totally different. <coughs> Why is it so? Because the second line says, The person who follows in one properly gains the results of both. That is, one who performs any one thing properly. If I karma yoga also I perform properly, that also becomes a means of moksha. And sannyas also if I perform properly, it becomes means of moksha. So Lord Krishna, therefore, the result is the same. Even though the form is different, the spirit is similar, and therefore, the end result is the same. Form of karma yogi is different because he is very active. Form of a sannyas or renunciate is different because he is withdrawn from actions. But both of them enjoy the spirit of renunciation and therefore it leads to the ultimate renunciation. The third one, where renunciation becomes a spontaneous thing because that is the nature of the self. So even when the scriptures teach the spirit of renunciation, because renunciation is our nature, that is why. No, no, I have no problem in denouncing the field because I know it's useless. Nobody is going to put the fields in their pockets. Unless we might perhaps do that because there is a, there is a, a you know, there is a possible fine of hundred dollars. So you might put it in your pocket and you might want to throw it away at an appropriate time. In India, you just throw it away right there, you know. <laughs> because the whole world is the, is the universal waste basket. <laughs> you can throw anywhere, whatever you like. I have no difficulty in renouncing in the morning when I clean my house, all the dust that has been gathered, no difficulty in renouncing that. Cooking the food, vegetables, all the peels, no problem in renouncing them. That is called renunciation when I don't feel the loss. So that's called sannyasa or renunciation. My Swami always gives the example of this, of this little boy of maybe a seven-year-old boy who enjoys playing with marbles and the time of examination comes and mother says, no more marbles now, you have to stay home and study. And this fellow has to do that, but he misses his marbles. He sees his friends playing the marbles from the window and then when he's by himself also, that's what he keeps doing. He's missing the marbles. Mother thinks that he's reading. And she thinks he's, you know, she looks from the back and he seems to be in front, the books are in front of him. But this is what he's doing because he's missing. Only when he grows up, when he discovers something better, that he becomes free from the need of these marbles, then we call him a sannyasi, as far as marble sannyasi. This renunciation is becoming free from the need, growing out of the need. 
and understand that that is possible only when we discover something better. Giving up something is always is possible only when something superior has been discovered, not otherwise. If I give up something without having discovered something within, the giving up something outside, outward is possible only when something inwardly has been discovered. And without that, as Lord Krishna will say, is very painful. And so Karma Yogi is all the time giving up his demands, giving up his likes and dislikes by surrendering to Lord, by identifying with Lord. Is it not so? So when I say that success also is God and failure also is God, then I am identifying with God and not with my ideas of success and failure. He appreciates God in coming in different forms. Suppose one can do that. Suppose in honor and dishonor, in pleasure and pain, in success and failure, in agreeable, disagreeable, everywhere. I seek to appreciate them as manifestation of Lord, then success and failure no more have an effect on me. As we said, Karma Yoga is the process of identifying with God. And more I identify with God, less is identification with ego. And by ego we mean nothing but a bunch of likes and dislikes or a bunch of demands. <coughs> Therefore, Egamapya Stita Samyak, one who is devoted to any one of them. Whether sannyasa renunciation, renunciation means pursuit of knowledge, to study of the scriptures, shravanam, mananam, nididhyasanam, listening to the teacher, mananam, reflection upon what I hear, nididhyasanam, a meditation, a deep meditation to assimilate and absorb what I have understood. So that's a process of knowledge. That's what a sannyasi or renunciate does. That's what we imagine. The second level of sannyasa is what? Vivisha sannyasa. Sannyasa or renunciation taken for the sake of pursuit of knowledge. It's not that just because one changes the clothes it becomes renunciation. Renunciation means the, the lifestyle adopted for the pursuit of knowledge. So whether one is committed to the process of pursuit of knowledge through the study, through the listening and contemplation of the scriptures, or whether one is devoted to performance of one's duty in the spirit of offering to the Lord, ekabhi samyak astitaha, you take up any one of that properly. One gains the result of both because both of them have the same result, namely moksha or liberation. And so, the fifth verse says, that's what is said in the fifth verse. Yatsankhev prapyate sthanam Yatsankhev prapyate sthanam Tadyogairapi gamyate Tadyogairapi gamyate Ekam sankhyam cha yogam cha Ekam sankhyam cha yogam cha Yaf pasyati sa pasyati Yaf pasyati sa pasyati Yat sthanam sankhya hi prapyate Tad yoga hi abhigamyate The sthanam, that abode Sthanam means a place But here the word sthanam means Sthanam is that place, tishthati asmin that in which one abides is called sthanam. So, natchavade punaha, having reached where there is no coming back, is called sthanam here. 
that is moksha, the liberation. As Lord Krishna says, yad gatva anivartante, reaching where one does not return. Like ocean can be called the sthanam for the river. The river having attained the ocean, having become one with the ocean, has no more anywhere to go. The reason why the river was rushing and gushing all the time is because it felt the sense of separation from the ocean, from its true nature. And when the river meets with the ocean, merges into the ocean, that sense of separation is gone and therefore it has no more anything to do. It has become totally renunciate. So understand that renunciation need not maybe identified as not doing something, but renunciation is freedom from need to do something. Freedom from compulsion to do something. You may do whatever you want, not out of compulsion, not out of need. Then whatever you do becomes a means of fulfilling somebody else's need because you are free from your own needs. Thus river, when it meets the ocean, becomes free from all the, uh, from all the, you know, seeking, from all the struggle. It is no See, it abides that nowhere to go. It can no more be deviated from its place because it has reached a place, ocean, from where it cannot be deviated. As long as it is away from the ocean, so long it is subject to falling. But once coming to the ocean, nowhere, no more deviation. Similarly also, when I, that's how Mundaka Upanishad gives this beautiful illustration. Just as the flowing rivers merge into oceans, and so far they were called rivers by different names, but having merged into the ocean, they are, they are now called ocean. Samudraha ittevam purochade. Now what formerly came to be called river, it now comes to be called ocean. Similarly also this individual being, when he merges into his own self, that is, discovers his true nature, then he is no more a river, no more an individual. That is what we call the most natural state. From where one does not get deviated is the most natural state. This ocean is the most natural state of the river, reaching where there is no further deviation, no further falling. Similarly also, what is the most natural state of me? That's the most natural state of myself. Like fire, natural state is heat and therefore fire abides in heat. The brightness is the nature of sun, sun abides in brightness. Similarly also, what is that is my nature? Asti, Bhati, Priyam, Sat, Chit, Ananda. Reaching where there is nowhere else to go. That is where I abide naturally or spontaneously. So that's my natural state. That's called Sthanam and that's called Moksha. Moksha means abiding in my true nature. So anything when it abides in true nature, it is liberated. Water has no struggle when it is cool. Oh, water undergoes a lot of struggle, struggle when we heat up this water. So heat the water and you can see the struggle going on because the water wants to become free from the heat because it is not just nature. It cannot totally accept it. It struggles to draw, give up this heat. And the struggle comes to an end when water becomes cold, when become a say, attains its true nature, and then it becomes free from struggle. So attaining where one becomes totally free from all struggle, that's called moksha, 
That's called liberation. And for that, here the Lord Krishna uses the word sthanam, that place, the abode or the end. Yet sthanam sankhi prapyade. So that sthanam or the abode or the end which is reached by the sankhya, the sannyasi, the renunciates, meaning through the pursuit of knowledge. Tad yoga hiyapagamyate. That very same end also is achieved by the karma yogis. Because karma yogi will definitely become a sannyasi. Karma yogi is the one who is renouncing his likes and dislikes and ever he will become a renunciate. As you said that, as the likes and dislikes go, as the mind becomes sattvic, then in sattva the desire for knowledge is natural. Sattvat sanjayate jnanam. When the mind enjoys the sattva, the transference of the clarity, then the desire for knowledge automatically arises. As we said earlier, different kinds of desires arise in our mind, depending upon the disposition of mind. When my mind is under the influence of rajas, there is desire for pleasure and bhoga. When mind is under influence of tamas, desire for inactivity. When my mind is under the influence of sattva, desire for knowledge. World is the same. World is the same. But how do I approach it? Do I approach the world as, an, as a place of enjoyment, pleasure, rajaguna? Do I approach the world as, as, a, as something that is threatening me and I want to withdraw myself? You know, something which said when the apple fell, a Newton was inspired to discover why did it fall? Because sattva. And somebody like me, if it was there, apple fell, let us see how it tastes, bhoga. Somebody else, apple falls, let it fall, who cares? That is the tamas. It's the same phenomenon, but different people will respond differently depending upon the state of mind. So understand that this is a process. Yoga, karma yoga becomes a process of cleansing the mind. Cleansing of the impurities of attachment and aversion of likes and dislikes and in course of the mind keeps on becoming clearer and that's the true nature of the mind and so karma yogi will definitely become an renunciate and a desire for knowledge will definitely arise and when that arise then the karma or the actions have done their job then he becomes renunciate and then he pursues the knowledge as a full-time pursuit and then he gains the knowledge he gains abundance of the knowledge and thus he gains moksha. Therefore, karma yoga will also definitely gain moksha today or tomorrow. So when you find a person performing the actions in the spirit of yoga, in the spirit of worship, you know that a day will definitely come when he will become a renunciate in true sense and yet a day will come when he will become liberated. Oh, when you see a renunciate today, we can infer that in the past he must have performed actions in the spirit of yoga when he has reached the state of renunciation. Because renunciation, the main characteristic of a renunciate is, a, is vairagya. Vairagya means freedom from raga and dvesha, dispassion. So for renunciation, vairagya is a primary requirement. When we see a person enjoying vairagya, we know that he must have done whatever it is required to do, maybe in the past life. Since we accept the past life, there is no problem in explaining this thing. If you don't accept the past life, it is difficult to explain things, you know, because why is this fellow like this and why is somebody like that? 
But here we say that it's an ongoing process. And some people are born with vairagya. Some people are born with pure mind. Some people are born with desire for knowledge. Some people have no, no interest in the, the pleasures of life. He must have got that from his past life. So this is a, in the seventh chapter also Lord Krishna says, Bahunam Janmanamante Gnanavanam Prabandyade. It is at the end of many lives that this seeker discovers me, the Vasudeva. He becomes. And therefore, a Karma Yoga will definitely become a renunciate and definitely will get the result of which he has today acquired the spirit of renunciation and that is on his path of pursuit of knowledge. Therefore, Lord Krishna says here, Yes, Sankhya Prapyate Sthanam Tad Yoga Yihye that end of the goal that is reached by the Sankhya, the Sanyasi, the renunciates, also is reached definitely by the yogis, by the karma yogis. Ekam Sankhyam cha Yogam cha Yaf Pashyati Sapashyati And therefore, one who sees that the Sankhya, that is Sanyasa, and Yoga, Karma Yoga, one is life of engagement, other life of disengagement. One life of pravritti, other life of nivritti. Pravritti means activity. Nivritti means withdrawal from activity. Karma Yogi is pravritta, active. Sanyasi is nivritta, he is retired, looks like. But there is outer form. Inside, both of them enjoy the spirit of renunciation. And therefore, one appreciates that. Ekam Sankhyam Cha Yogam Cha. One appreciates this fact that Sankhya and Yoga, that means Sanyasa and Yoga are essentially one. Sahapashari. He really knows the secret of the scriptures. <coughs> but as I say, people have really a lot of fascination for renunciation, for sannyasa. Not perhaps here, but in India, this is so. All people have some false notion that if you become sannyasi, then you become liberated. And so very often sannyasa is only equated in outer form. Not realizing that sannyasa really represents a certain maturity of mind. But suppose that is not understood. And one just thinks that by, by renouncing karma, that I become a sannyasi. And then I qualify for knowledge and so forth. What happens to that person? That's what Lord Krishna says in the sixth, sixth verse. Sanyasastu Mahabaho Sanyasastu Mahabaho Dukkhamaptuma Yogataha Dukkhamaptuma Yogataha Yoga Yukto Munir Brahma Yoga Yukto Munir Brahma Nachirena Dhigachade Nachirena Dhigachade However, he Mahabaho, again, O mighty armed one, hey Arjuna, Ayogataha sannyasa aptum dukkham aptum. Hey Arjuna, sannyasa, renunciation, is dukkham aptum, is difficult to accomplish. Ayogataha without karma yoga. So, without the growth process that takes place through the karma yoga, if one takes sannyasa just by will, is, is extended, sannyasa becomes a very difficult thing to sustain. 
You know, because traditionally, sannyasi is the one who has renounced actions. And therefore, he does not have the benefit that the actions give rise. As I said, he has the benefit of getting rid of his of inner cleansing, inner purification, of getting rid of my likes and dislikes. You know, what happens is, when I when I am about to perform an action, my likes and dislikes will always surface themselves. They will always want to dominate that action. My likes and dislikes will say, hey, what are you going to get out of this action? The likes and dislikes will always consider the result as more important than action. And therefore, whenever I act out of likes and dislikes, action becomes secondary, the end and outcome becomes primary. And then I react to the outcome. Because I perform the action with the sake of outcome. If the outcome is not to my choice, I react with anger, with frustration, with whatever. If the outcome is according to my choice, I react with pride. I congratulate myself. I did it. Now both of these reactions are wrong. And as we said, therefore, an action which originates from reactions only perpetuates reactions. And therefore the only way of getting rid of the reactions is to, to act, is to perform action, is to do things, is to really uh, interact with the world. Because the world will clear, you know, world will make sure, the world will always invoke my likes and dislikes, you know. They will do that. Whenever I do something, whenever I interact with the world, they will make sure that, that they will push buttons, definitely. They will push buttons. Which is good. If I am committed to growth process, then it is good. Then I realize what is there in me, because sometimes you don't even know what is all there inside. We sometimes do not even know what kind of reactions are inside. there inside. As I said, you know, Bhavara gives a very beautiful example of a puddle of water. And that water appears very clear. Only on the surface. It's only when you throw a pebble, then all the mud which is at the bottom starts coming on the surface. Similarly also on the face of it, everything looks fine about me. Only when we throw some pebble, what is that pebble? Performing some action. That's like pebble. Then the inner likes and dislikes are brought to surface. So only way that I can deal with my likes and dislikes is to first know that they are there. And I know their presence when they come to surface. And they come to surface when they are invoked. And every time I am about to perform an action, my likes and dislikes will be invoked. This question is, what am I going to get out of this? As I said, the circumstances, situations, people, they will always push some buttons and bring out the reactions which are otherwise there. And thus I come to know them and then I make that action as a means of getting rid of likes and dislikes rather than fulfilling likes and dislikes. So that is how this Karma Yoga becomes a process of self-purification. And thus in course of time, this person attains a mind which becomes free from the influence of these pairs of opposites and thus he enjoys the tranquility of the mind which is what we call Vairagya. Vairagya means the freedom from Raghadvesha and that is what is required for Karma Sanyasa. And then if one takes Sanyasa, fine. But suppose without this preparation I take Sanyasa. Then now I can't perform action because I am a Sanyasi. 
and therefore whatever advantage an action would have to give it cannot give me any more and then I don't I don't know what to do now I want to eat an ice cream like what can I do if I am in karma suppose I am in the life of a householder or I am an active life I feel like eating ice cream no problem because that is okay but after becoming sannyasi suppose I want to go to a movie what can you do which means that I have not yet dealt with all those pleasure seeking instincts of mine as I said purification process means discovering an inner happiness as likes and dislikes go that sattva which is my true nature which is what we call the cheerfulness that becomes a manifest and therefore I keep discovering in that process a self-sufficiency there is immediate reward it's not that there is no reward for karma yogi also there is a reward immediate reward as any likes and dislikes go then they create that much sattva that means they create that much inner happiness and therefore in course of time a karma yogi doesn't require any outer things to be happy because he discovers happiness in his own self and thus when I become free from the needs of the objects of the world for being happy then I am ready for sannyasa as long as I am a needy person I better not become a sannyasi because then I can't do anything to fulfill my needs the needs have to be suppressed or they may have to be expressed in an unbecoming way and this we do fine you know we do get stories of people you know that uh, sometimes even after having taken to the life of renunciation etc or whatever sometimes they are not able to live up to that because sanyasastha mahabaho dukkhamapnum ayogatah it is difficult to digest or difficult to live up to that sannyasa when that maturity of the mind is not there. <coughs> and so Lord Krishna emphasizes that karma yoga is the first step and you are always safe with karma yoga. No, but Swamiji, I have, I have no likes and dislikes. Don't worry, still do karma. It's a sure way. You, 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 you know, there is nothing to lose and let you, you put yourself to the test of Yavahara, put yourself to the test of doing things and see whether buttons are pushed or not. And if you find that you are able to maintain your composure on the face of changing situations, then you know that now you are ready to give up the karma. And until then, it's better to continue to perform the karma. Therefore, Lord Krishna said to Arjuna, that's why here Arjuna is said, Tayostu karma sanyasat karma yoga vishishyade That's the reason why here Arjuna, in my opinion, karma yoga is better than karma sanyasa. Not really. In fact, sanyasa is a stage after karma yoga. But let it happen rather than being taken. Let sanyasa happen by itself rather than you're taking it by will. This is what Lord Krishna says. Let sanyasa be a natural outcome of your process of growth rather than something that you force upon yourself which is what Arjuna wants to do so in, co- in context of Arjuna this is being said also because he wanted to take sannyasa means he wanted to renounce the action Arjuna you are not ready for that that's what Lord Krishna means and in 18th chapter Lord Krishna very clearly says manyase mithesha vyavasayaste prakriti stvam niyokshati 
He has been out of arrogance or out of ego. You insist, you continue to insist that I am not going to fight, that I am going to give up this battle, I am going to renunciate. Prakritisthvam neyokshadi Mithyesha vyavasayaste This vyavasaya, this determination on your part that I am not going to fight or I am not going to perform an action is mithya, is going to be, is going to be wrong. Why? Prakritisthvam neyokshadi Your own nature will control you. Svabhavajenak sakauntaya nibaddhasvena karmana kartum nechasiyan mohat he has been a Yurak Kshatriya. You must first become Brahmana before you become a Sanyasi. So traditionally, Sanyasa was only given to Brahmins in the olden days. Let us say that a person should become Brahmana at least by disposition of mind to become Sanyasi. And what we mean by Brahmana is a Sattvic person. Arjuna is not Brahmana by disposition. He is still a Kshatriya by disposition. Means he is an active person. Your nature of active, your active nature will control you and make you do things until you become a Brahmin, not by birth but by disposition. So as I say, traditionally, sannyasa, number one, the teaching of Vedanta will be imparted only to sannyasis. And sannyasa will be given only to Brahmins. This is how it was and this is how it still is in some places. So this is change in the sense that we do not insist upon sannyasa as a form, but sannyasa as a spirit is required. Then alone the teaching becomes effective. And who can become a sannyasi? One who is at least become a Brahmin in spirit, in disposition, not necessarily by birth. So what was the insistence upon the scriptures earlier had some meaning that one should become a Brahmana, meaning a sattvic person then one qualifies to be a sannyasa, sannyasa renunciate and then one qualifies to study the scriptures because then it becomes, it, it does its work <coughs> and without preparation if one does take sannyasa then is neither here nor there in Sanskrit they call it ubhaya he is neither here nor there he is no, he doesn't have the benefit of karma yoga which is self-purification nor does he have the benefit of sannyasa, which is abidance in knowledge. He is not ready for knowledge, nor he is in a position to do the karma. And therefore he is in a very pitiable condition, unenviable condition. So Harjuna, rather than that, it's better that you take karma yoga. And definitely, once you, it's like a ladder, like an escalator. You, you just climb the first step. The rest will be taken care of. Similarly, also climb the first step of Karma Yoga. This will all take care of itself. This is what Lord Krishna continues to say in the subsequent lines. We'll see it tomorrow. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande Bhagavantau Punaf Punaha 
ईश्वरो गुरुरात्मेदी मूर्ति भेद विभागिने व्योम वत्याप्त देहाय दक्षिणामूर्तये नमः ओम शांति 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 हरि ओम श्री गुरुभ्यो